This episode of Pastor Well was recorded in the spring of 2020 during the coronavirus crisis. We were using Zoom to capture these episodes, so you may notice a difference in the audio quality. Still, we're grateful for the opportunity we've been provided to interview guests that would have otherwise been really difficult to get in the studio. We hope you'll enjoy it, and thanks for listening to Pastor Well. Conversations with prominent pastors, teachers, and leaders. This is the Pastor Well Podcast from Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Now your host, Dr. Herschel York. Hello and welcome to the Pastor Well Podcast. This is Herschel York, the Dean of the School of Theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm also pastor of the Buckron Baptist Church in Frankfurt. The Pastor Well Podcast is dedicated to helping servants of the Lord Jesus Christ be faithful in ministry. And we do that by engaging in conversation with those who have uh, shown us exactly what that looks like in life and ministry. And I can think of no one who has done that better, more faithfully than uh, Dr. Ray Ortland. Uh, I am so happy to welcome you. Welcome to Pastor Well, Ray. Thank you. It's such a privilege. I'm, I'm really overjoyed to be with you and everyone who's listening today. Well, you are one of the guys that I've long wanted to have on, on this program because, frankly, you are one of the most fascinating uh, people that I've ever admired from afar. You need to get uh, and, out more. <laughs> yeah, well, I have observed you. I've, I've only met you uh, just to shake your hand uh, when you've been at Southern. Uh, as we might have had a meal together there in the president's dining room, but uh, I, I really don't know you on a personal level, like so many of the guests I have on this show uh, that I've, I've been with a lot. I've not been with you, and yet, having read your books, having listened especially to your preaching, which I greatly admire, and just watched uh, even uh, the transition that you've recently gone through uh, in, in retiring from active, the active pastorate, as you did. You know, you're a few years ahead of me, so I'm watching very carefully how to do things well. Oh, that's so and, nice. uh, and frankly, you, you seem to do a lot of things well. I want to uh, just uh, make sure that our, our listeners know who you are. You received a, your bachelor's from Wheaton College. You did a THM at Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, there, I think you sort of fell in love with uh, especially Greek uh, exegesis and you know, really enjoyed textual work in the scriptures. You did an MA at the University of California, Berkeley, and then did your PhD at the University of Aberdeen in Scotland. Uh, that's quite a, an academic accomplishment, all of those things combined. Uh, you later served as associate professor of Old Testament and Semitic languages at Trinity and Deerfield, Illinois. Uh, but I think you're, you're best known as a pastor and a preacher. I mean, you, you, you certainly are an incredibly capable academician, but I, I think of you as a pastor uh, above all else. Uh, is that how you see yourself? Yes, it is, Dr. York. And I feel profoundly grateful to the Lord to be set apart by his grace, for his glory, to pastoral ministry. I just love it. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 I would not want to do anything else with my life. I feel so very, um, I feel invested in by my Father in heaven. I feel cared for. I feel privileged. Um, I feel spoiled 
by his kindness and his grace and his love. Mm -hmm. And um, there, I haven't always felt that way. I, there, there have been times when I, I felt uh, overlooked. There have been other times when I felt despised. And I was wrong. I was deeply wrong. Um, anyway, I'm, I love being a pastor. And I'm really glad to be with you and with other pastors who are listening right now in this sacred brotherhood of yeah. pastoral ministry. Herschel, who's in this circle that we're a part of? John Calvin is in this circle. Augustine is in this circle. The Apostle Paul is in this circle. Spurgeon and others. What are we doing here? <laughs> this is amazing. You know, uh, I, I resonate with so much of what you say because it, it sounds like a lot of things I say. I call myself God's spoiled child. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe that he knows what a wimp I am. And he gave me the easiest wife to live with and the easiest church to pastor. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just incredibly spoiled. And man, even in the middle of this uh, global yeah. pandemic, I'm, I'm like, there's joy that I get to stay home with my wife. We've had more time together during this than uh, we've had in, in years, frankly. And oh, there's just been a, a delightful uh, reconnection that we've enjoyed immensely. And you strike me as that kind of person who you're, you're going to find a way to be happy. You're going to find a way to have joy, whatever the outer circumstances are. Would, would that be accurate? Hmm. You know, if that's true, I sure hope it is. Um, that would be my dad left such <clears throat> a deep and lasting impression Mm -hmm. um, my dad was the greatest man I've ever known. I feel um, so privileged to have had that man for my dad. Mm -hmm. And my dad understood that joy in Christ <clears throat> is more than a psychological category. It is a moral category. And yes, there are tears. Yes, there are buffetings. Yes, there are sorrows and losses and so forth. Um, but, the, but when the scripture says rejoice in the Lord, my dad taught me that the in the Lord part always guides me, directs me, shepherds me towards something about the Lord that can bring joy into any moment. Or if not joy at that particular instance, at least enough stability to keep going to collide with the joy in due course. So uh, my yeah. dad really helped me understand that. Well, that's another thing we share in common. My dad too was a pastor and I am the father of ministers as well and like you. So. I do want to talk about the multi-generational aspect of that. I, I would consider my dad my greatest influence in the same way who just taught me the, the word of God, taught me to love the church, yes, uh, to love uh, serving Jesus. Tell me about your upbringing and, and about your own coming to faith in Christ. Uh, I grew up in what was basically a healthy home. It was not a perfect home. Um, but it was, it was a godly home, it was a simple home, and it was a happy home. 
um, my dad led me to the Lord at the breakfast table when I was six years old. My mom was sitting over to my right, my dad to my left, my two sisters on the other side of the table. I can't remember the context, but somehow my dad and I were in this conversation there over breakfast about salvation and the cross and sin and trust and, and all those glorious basic ingredients of, of crossing the line from aloofness and indecision, crossing the line to openness and definiteness. And he explained the gospel to me right there. And in my little six-year-old psyche, it made sense. Mm-hmm. I, something deep inside resonated. I already knew I was a sinner. I knew there was something wrong with me. And my dad explained to me there was a savior for sinners. And he invited me to bow my head and pray a little six-year-old prayer, and I did. And Dr. York, I know it might sound uh, ridiculous, but I, I bowed my little head, I prayed my little prayer, and I actually felt this burden lifted away. Now, it was very moved, very meaningful, very real. I knew I had changed and Christ had come. Um, now, years, it took many years for that to, for that to uh, ripen, uh, into, ripen into a, a daily, daily reality, of course. But, but uh, I crossed the uh, line. I crossed the led line. Led by my dad. Led by my dad. At six years of age. At six years of age. And I'm profoundly and grateful. I'm profoundly well, grateful. I, I had almost identical experience. Wow. Uh, and I had, I was eight days into being seven years old, but I'd been under the conviction of sin from the time I was five. Yes. I mean, gut wrenching, white knuckle. I'm lost. <laughs> I am. Wow. I am. I am separated from God. I, I went through that for a year and there'd be times at night I would be alone in my room and just crying. And my mother would come in and try and comfort me. You don't need to be afraid of the dark. And I would be saying, it's not the dark I'm afraid of. And, and they, they, my mother didn't really understand what was going on. I think my dad did, but, uh, in much in the same way, uh, I was, you know, I just turned seven and when it was on a Sunday night and he was preaching, it was just so clear. And I just said, I, I, I'm surrendering. And it was, mm-hmm. it was an act of resting in Christ. Amazing. It was wow. ceasing from my own sense of, I can't be righteous. And, you know, I'm 60 years old. I've never had a serious doubt about the reality of what happened yeah. that night in 1967. Uh, and like you there, uh, obviously I learned a lot more, you know, but Jesus didn't say that, children have to become like an adult to be saved. He said adults have become like children. Yes. And faith, faith is arresting, uh, arresting in the finished work of Christ. And my seven year old mind could do that. Uh, Obviously it's a work of the Holy spirit, but I have never doubted the reality of that. And to hear your testimony certainly is uh, further confirmation that God can work in the heart of a child. I believe that very deeply. Uh, you met your wife. Did you pronounce it Janie? Janie. Janie. Okay, that I, I wasn't sure. You met your wife Janie 
uh, while at Wheaton. Yes. And uh, you guys, uh, reading about your courtship reminded me almost like Jim Elliott and Elizabeth Elliott mm -hmm. uh, on the same campus, uh, the way that uh, there was a, a desire and a pursuit. And you guys found one another, dated for a couple of years. We did. I met her um, September 12th, 1968 at about 5 p.m. in the afternoon. I was walking from Fisher Hall to the dining hall for dinner, from my dorm to, the, uh, to dinner. And I saw a friend of mine over to my left, and I went over to say hi on my way. And then I realized when I got there that he was talking with a young lady. And I was <laughs> quite struck by her. <laughs> and um, I, I, I was so happy to meet her and I was intrigued. And over the course of the next several weeks, I began to hear about her. I mean, she was obviously just gorgeous, but I also discovered to my joy that she had standards, she had integrity, she had commitment to Christ. So I, I, I plucked up my courage and called her up and asked her out. That was one of the smartest things I ever did. And she said, yes, I couldn't believe my luck. <laughs> how, how soon before you knew she's the one that this is, this is going toward marriage? It was accelerating more quickly uh, than I even realized at the time. Uh, very early on, uh, I, I, I just began to fall headlong into this, you know, falling in love, it's like temporary insanity. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I think we, it's actually a gift of God. It's a grace from above. We romance this euphoric, all-consuming, crazy experience is what we need to sort of catapult us into the mega commitment of marriage. If we were in our right minds, we might not want to get married, given yeah. the risk and the commitment. That's so right. God it's did. not simply putting a legal pad out there, pros and cons. That's, that's, right. that's not the, that's not the no. way we enter it. It's way too all-encompassing, all-consuming, irreversible, and so forth. So God says, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take away his right mind and let this drip go into a system of romantic, crazy, gaga love. And boy, did that happen for both of us. And it was three, four months in, and, and I was already, um, it was kind of like river rafting. We were we were, uh, we didn't know what was around the next bend, but, but there was this current taking us forward. Mm -hmm. And it, the Lord was in it. The Song of Solomon calls it the very flame of the Lord. Romance is, did not sort of bubble up from human evolution. It's a gift from above. God gave it because it's in his heart. It's how he loves us. So um, I'm very grateful to the Lord for, for his grace in just falling crazy head over heels in love with this wonderful lady. Now, you were not really uh, headed to a life of ministry at that point. Is that right? No, that's right. I was actually, oh gosh, I'm such an idiot. I, I grew up with this great man as my dad and, and, my, and my pastor. And I was so arrogant. I wanted to do anything but. I deeply regret that now. But God in mercy overruled. And when I was there at Wheaton, some wonderful guys with Campus Crusade for Christ, now known as Crew, 
they, they took me under their wing, they cared for me, <clears throat> invested in me, got me involved in campus evangelism, got me involved in discipleship, got me involved in a more systematic Bible study than I'd ever done before. And over the course of a semester, I found myself drawn in. I found myself intrigued. I found myself thinking, I would love to give my life to this. This is going to matter forever. And uh, so through the influence of these wonderful crusade guys, the Lord called me into ministry. And, uh, and I was all in. Um, and I wrote a letter to the Board of Deacons at our church there in Pasadena, Lake Avenue Congregational Church, and explained the, the new understanding that God had imparted. I submitted that to them. They took me under their wing. They took me under care. It, Herschel, it was a, just a, a model experience of a local church responding to a young man who's sort of feeling his way forward toward the pastoral call, caring for him, investing in him, and so forth, which eventuated in my ordination at Lake Avenue Church in 1975. I'm profoundly grateful. Now, that was after you were married, though, right? Yes. Um, so... Janny did not marry a preacher, but suddenly that's where you're heading. How did that go? Yeah. Uh, she told me once that uh, I tricked her. <laughs> Which was um, not true. Was that yeah. true? Um, life is just full of surprises. I mean, mm -hmm. when I felt called to the ministry, I thought, I mean, my reality at that point consisted primarily of football rock and roll, and Janney. I was not, you know, a profound thinker and so forth. And so I just thought, I'll just be some, you know, youth pastor forever. We'll just have a blast. But I knew I had to go to seminary. Uh, I went to Dallas, and I'm so thankful for Dallas Seminary. It was, uh, uh, I wanted to know the Bible. And in my second year, Dr. York, at Dallas Seminary that fall, this was another divine moment, God's care. I was sitting in a classroom with S. Lewis Johnson, New Testament exegesis. I'm, I'm holding in my hand the Greek New Testament I was using that day in class. And he was explaining to us how to use the text apparatus at the bottom of the page, the manuscripts the patristic evidences, and so forth. It was technical. It wasn't sort of exciting. But I found it fascinating. And this suddenly, I, did, I didn't see it coming. I didn't have time to duck. Suddenly, this awareness entered into my being. Oh, this is what I was created for. Wow. God wants me to be a serious student of the Bible all my days. And the Lord was, again, setting me apart to himself. And I was so uh, struck by that. And it was an undeniable, clear and distinct first order experience that I didn't need something else to validate. It was the, the experience that validated everything else. So I, I turned the corner and uh, I... I've given myself to the scriptures ever since, and I have no regrets. I have many regrets in life, Dr. York, but yeah. 
studying the Bible diligently is not one of them. Right. Uh, I'm curious about one thing. You know, here's one place where our stories diverge. Uh, so it was, it was there in a New Testament exegesis class and holding a Greek text that God really confirmed something in your heart and life. And, it, and you really ended up an Old Testament guy. So I'm wondering at, at, at what point uh, that, that fall from grace occurred. Because <laughs> I'm a New Testament guy. See, I, I stayed in the New Covenant and you okay. have reverted. So you, you became a professor of Old Testament. So yes. how, did, how did Hebrew and Old Testament catch your interest after that experience? Well, that's a great question. There, there's a sort of a mega reason and there's a mini reason. The mega reason was Dr. Bruce Waltke. Okay. I, uh, I came under his spell there at uh, Dallas Seminary. He was um, the, the, the greatest scholar I had ever yet interacted with up close. And he was such a striking communicator and um, interesting thinker, a courageous thinker. And he opened up the Old Testament in a way I'd never seen before and pulled out insights that just came alive. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was really drawn in. And then Don Glenn, who was also on staff there in Old Testament, simply at, this is the many reason, made the observation in class one day that we have more New Testament commentaries per book at that point, he could say, we have more New Testament commentaries, good, solid, helpful commentaries on the Greek text than we have good, solid commentaries on the Hebrew text of the Old Testament. And I realized, oh, so I'm going to have to do this for myself a little bit more in the Old Testament than in the New Testament. So I said, I need to make the commitment to preparation for the Old Testament. Now, in, in, in the intervening years, you know, we have an embarrassment of riches in Old Testament commentaries, but I think that was a valid observation at that time. Yeah. It influenced me. Uh, so what's your favorite Old Testament book? I know you, you wrote the notes for Isaiah and ASV Study Bible, right? Yeah. Do you have a favorite Old Testament book or, well, I, or even a genre? I, I love the book of Isaiah. It is captivating. And it's both profound, but I find it understandable. And I'm deeply grateful. Jeremiah and Ezekiel seem to me, I struggle more. They, they're more opaque to me. I read Isaiah and I'm, I'm drawn in. I, I, I feel like there's something glorious here. There's, some, there's grandeur here, but it's surprisingly accessible to me. Hmm. So I'm, I'm deeply grateful. And I love the Psalms um, and the book of Genesis. It's fascinating. Uh, I, uh, I, I love the Old Testament. My, my dad, when I was a child, taught me all the stories, the content of the Old Testament. By the time I was six, it was just, you know, and when I, when I preach to this day, one of the compliments I get from my people is, oh, you, you, preach the old testament you just make it come alive i always smile at that because um i know that what they really hear is the voice of my father yeah you know it's still telling me 
the, the Old Testament and making it live to me. And yeah. that's what comes through in my preaching. There's just such a joy in it. Isn't that fascinating? You know, I would yeah. say the same thing. Plus, every sermon I preach includes multiple echoes of other voices that, have, that I've read, that I've heard through the years, including Dr. York, people I don't particularly like. But they right. said something that taught me. And I learned, and it just, and yeah. the people listening just don't realize how, how they're really hearing many voices. That's right. You know, I, there's nobody I disagree with more profoundly about preaching than, say, Fred Craddock. And yet, uh, I'm preaching through Luke now. I'm in a two-year series in Luke. Craddock's commentary on Luke is shockingly good. <laughs> I, I, it just... It, I marvel that so often he's given me these gems of under, because the one thing he, he was in the text. He, he thought it came from a different place. I thought it came from, Mm -hmm. but his understanding of what's going on in the text, what Luke is doing is just second to none. And so that, that's, that's a, a way that we hear the voices we don't always agree with, but you know, I've learned you can learn from anybody. That's right. So everybody knows something I don't know. And yes. I just need to be uh, humble enough to, look, to listen to them. Yeah. Speaking of humility, this is one of the words that people put on you a lot. You're so accomplished in so many ways, and yet you have a, a real humility. I know it's uh, sort of an odd question to ask where you think that humility comes from. But it is true that uh, I think I read somewhere you struggled through two difficult church situations before planting Emmanuel. Is that correct? That's right. And so you, would you characterize those as, as failures? Did it feel like failure? What, what happened uh, in those years? Yeah. Um, it's a little bit difficult to talk about. Um, and, and I really don't want anybody to, who might listen to this to, to be embarrassed or um, disappointed in any way. I, I, the first was not failure. I was, I was in an historic church that I love to this day, and they love me. Um, and they needed a gospel-centered pastor to come walk them through <clears throat> an historic transition to realign, not perfectly, but more closely, with Jesus and his gospel. And <clears throat> uh, I, I, I'm a believer that every church needs renewal. It's just a matter of time. And it was God's time for that church to rediscover the goodness of the good news and the heart of Jesus for them. And most of the congregation just uh, deeply appreciated it and just lit up. And so there were a few who just couldn't turn the corner. And uh, uh, the Lord's hand is on them too. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I walked away from that experience and, and I gave it my all and they're in a better place and they're, they've just surged forward. Um, the other situation is still unresolved and I'm hesitant to say a lot about it. It was just a catastrophic disaster. Okay. It was the kind of experience that a pastor if somebody were to describe that to me before it happened, I would say, that'll never happen. <laughs> and then it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that was the darkest moment of my life. But Janie and I spent a day with David Paulison back in Philadelphia, the biblical counselor. Right. David died just a year ago. I miss him so much. I owe him a profound debt of gratitude. What a dear, wise, precious man. Did you ever get to know David? Uh, I only, again, only to meet him. Uh, he was at Southern several times and I did meet him. I've yeah. certainly read his stuff and I know a lot of people who know him, knew him very, very well. And yeah. uh, I, I wish I could have known him more. He was just a prince of a man. And during that day together, he made a recommendation to us that really helped us. And I, I would love to pass this along because right now there are pastors listening to us who are going through some profound um, wounds, injury, pain, loss, and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, now my paraphrase of what David said, he said, okay, guys, you're going through your suffering. And it's not going to end anytime soon. So he said, here's my recommendation until you sort of break through to the, uh, a better day. Ask the Lord for a verse of scripture. Ask the Lord for a promise in the Bible that jumps off the page at you. It resonates with your heart. You know, oh my, this is God's word to us right now. And he said, when the Lord gives you that verse, that encouragement, that promise, then wallpaper your reality with that verse. Hang on to it until the Lord gets you through this. And let that verse put hope in your heart. Let that verse, um, however dark the night, the night might be, there's that verse, that North Star up there. You can always look up, get your bearings again. Okay, we're not crazy. Let's keep going and so forth. Well, about two weeks later, Janie was reading 1 Peter 5. And bam, there it was, 1 Peter 5.10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself, I love that word, mm -hmm. he's not going to delegate this to any angel. He's going to do this directly and personally himself. He will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. First Peter 5.10. Oh my goodness. Janie shared it with me. I thought, okay, there's our verse. So, you know, we memorized it. I checked it out in the Greek text. We wrote it down on three by five cards. I put it in the visor of my pickup so I could always look at it. If I'm at a red light, Jenny scotch taped it to the inside of our kitchen cupboard so that she went to get a plate or a glass and opened the cupboard. There it was. We talked about it. We prayed over it. And that verse stabilized us and got us through. And brother, to this day, that was 13 years ago, to this day, when um, some obvious uh, providence of God's care and fruitfulness and ministry privilege comes our way, Janie and I look at each other, we go, 1 Peter 5.10. Mm -hmm. Like for me, right now, Herschel, this moment with you and all these precious friends who are listening, for me, this is a 1 Peter 5.10 moment that I have the privilege of being your friend, your brother pastor, talking together about the things that matter most in all the world, sharing these treasures with 
perhaps thousands of others. This should not be happening. Right. This is of God. Well, you're, you are exactly right. That, that is, all of that is true. It is of God. It should not be happening. It's what a measure of God's grace. But this is why God has entrusted you as he has, because you get that. I, there, I, I fear that I see too many guys who clutch and grab for a position of influence uh, without ever having gone through the suffering and the experience uh, in order to have something to share and to hear you on this side of that experience say, here's what the Lord had to teach me through it. And now in humility to say, look, uh, this, this is a grace of God. It's why I think God has entrusted you to be, to have such influence and to be such a voice in the ears of pastors out there. And I'm grateful for that. Well, you're very kind. Uh, it is truly all of God's grace. And uh, we have so many sacred, glorious, blood-bought reasons to be thankful. Francis Schaeffer used to teach us, when our hearts depart from thankfulness, that's the first indicator we're losing our way. That's right. It's right there in Romans 1. They neither thanked him nor, nor honored him. Right. That, that is the, um, that's our original sin, the lack of a thankful heart. I, so, I agree. And, and sometimes I, don't, I, I had to go through um, the dark night of the soul to get to a place where I feel ridiculously loved by God and profoundly grateful. So, I'm, hey, I'm all in. You know, <laughs> when he has given his son for us, yeah. this settles the issue of whether or not he loves us, even in those dark nights. I mean, it's the cross and the empty tomb that bears witness of God's love. That, that is irrefutable. And you know, that's what we have to see. And sometimes it's, it's hard to get there. Um, Someone else who really has helped me through the years, I would say my dad was my biggest influence. And number, the number two influence in my life would be Francis Schaeffer. And in his book, No Little People, published by Crossway, it's a collection mm -hmm. of sermons. He's got a sermon in there entitled, The Lord's Work in the Lord's Way. And if, if the Bible is up here, in my estimation, at, at the highest level, just under the Bible is Francis Schaeffer's sermon, The Lord's Work in the Lord's Way. Um, he taught me, and in fact, that sermon, the, the convictions that he expresses there, Dr. York, they're in my mind every day. Really? Either co consciously helping me correcting me, reminding me, realigning me, or just implicit and more in the background, but very present and influential. He taught me that, see, I would have thought I have a choice between doing the Lord's work versus doing the devil's work, to put it very simplistically. Mm -hmm. um, he taught me there are really three options doing the Lord's work in the Lord's way, doing the Lord's work 
in my strength, my wisdom for my big dealness, for my ego, for my influence, for my career, blah, 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 my platform, and then doing the devil's work. Mm -hmm. And I might have thought that the big dividing line is on the one hand doing the Lord's work, the Lord's way, or my way, and then doing the devil's work. But in fact, the dividing line is over here. It's between doing the Lord's work the Lord's way and doing the Lord's work my way, which will That's end right. up eventually as pretty much the same as doing the devil's work. Well, uh, Adrian Rogers was one of my biggest mentors. Other than my father, Adrian was the one who had the profound impact on my life. He used to say the same way a different in a different set of words. He said, if the devil can't get you to, to do bad, he'll get you to do good in the flesh yeah. because he knows that which is flesh cannot please God. And if he can get you to do good in the flesh, it's a very small step to then get you to do bad in your flesh. I deeply believe that. Yeah, it, it is the way it works. Yes. And when that conviction, the, the, the more deeply that percolates down into me, the more I just want to stay close to the Lord and leave all outcomes with him. And I just want to stay open and stay available and surrendered and let him tell the story in whatever way he wants to. How can that not go well? Right. That's right. There are two things. I, I, I appreciate you hanging with me. I could talk to you all day. Uh, there's so much wisdom that I want you to share. But two areas I'd just like to know a little bit more about before we close. First of all, uh, your, your parenting, you had four children. Is that right? Yes. And all of them, uh, would today be serving the Lord in some fashion. Yes. Talk about that. Uh, how, what advice do you give parents who want to see their children honor and serve the Lord Jesus as they grow up? Uh, what advice can you give a parent? I know that's a huge subject and you've got little time, but Share some wisdom. Yeah. Well, obviously, we all know there's no formula. Right. And we're all left to just pray like crazy and, and love our kids. And um, Now, this is going to sound a little bit goofy, but Janie and I actually thought about it when the kids were young. I mean, they didn't ask to be born into our family. They're, they got stuck with it. It's our fault. Uh, they didn't volunteer. So... Um, we want this to go well for them. We have an obligation to our children. We're, we're the grown-ups, and we're not going to hand our authority over to them. Uh, they're not going to decide what their diet is going to be, and they're not going to decide what their bedtime is going to be, and so forth. There's a reason why grown-ups are in the house. But under, under God, God has put us into their lives as their parents for their blessing. So Janie and I asked the question, this is going to sound crazy. What is ultimate reality? And we know from Exodus 33 and Moses' prayer, show me your glory and God's answer, I will make all my goodness pass before you. We know that we've parachuted into a universe where ultimate reality is the glorious goodness of God. So if that's ultimate reality, how can we build a little world, a little culture, a little family at 424 Bush Street, Mountain View, California, 
in which our children will find it easy to believe that that's ultimate reality, the glorious goodness of God. How can we structure a home, including the very orderliness of it, the tidiness of it, and the occasional chaos, with lots of laughter and tickles and reading Winnie the Pooh and appropriate discipline and lots of hugs and physical touch and so forth? How can we create a wholesome, humane, positive reality here so that our children would not find their upbringing a barrier to seeing the glory of the Lord. Anyway, that's just how we, we thought it through. And, and, and God, God's been so kind. What, a, what an incredible testimony. Would you have advice for, let's say there's a parent, and maybe this Christian parent has not done it as well as they could have. I think almost all Christian parents would say that. And they've got a 20-year-old who grew up in church and hearing the gospel, but now is struggling with whether or not God is real, God cares, uh, whether or not a profession of faith they made is real. What would you say to that parent? What advice could you give? Well, every parent has regrets. Every parent has good reasons to apologize in some ways. But I would say that parent, your child needs you more than ever right now. Your child needs more than ever your understanding, patience, prayer, sincerity. That child does not need to be nagged or scolded. Uh, If if it's a 20-year-old child, I mean, what what more is the parent going to say at this point? so just affirm that child as much as you can. Love that child and wait on the Lord and never stop praying, never give up, never surrender. Wait on the Lord. We know that so many times the Old Testament calls us to wait on the Lord. And that's not waiting in a hammock, sipping iced tea. That's waiting in a plank position until the coach says you're done. It, there's 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 suspense in that. There's tension in that. There's unresolved difficulty in that. And when we're in that position in relation to our children, with so much on the line, well, that is so intense. Surely the Lord has Himself has brought us to that place, and He's preparing us for some kind of breakthrough. Let's just hang in there. Thank you. That is great advice. One other area, you you are, in the eyes of many of us, such a consummate pastor. You led the church through a transition and choosing your successor. Uh, and uh, you uh, stepped out of that leadership role. And uh, the, the church uh, now follows another one as pastor. Tell me how that went, how that felt, how, how it's working. Oh, well, well, once again, I mean, I sound like a broken record, but it's just God's care and God's grace, God's shepherding. We experienced the good shepherd walking us through about a five-year process. I am deeply grateful to the elders of Emmanuel Church. They were raised up by God for that season, and they just, personally, they hit it out of the park. 
they were all in, they were wise, um, they were prayerful, they were careful, they were patient. Lots of um, behind the scenes research. Um, uh, uh, we wanted to understand well in advance what are the typical experiences that churches go through we can anticipate and provide for and maybe uh, steer the church around. Uh, and then, so lots of work behind the scenes, lots of prayer, everybody sharing ideas, everybody was all in. There was not, I did not tell the guys how this was supposed to go down. We stumbled forward together. Then at the level of the congregation, the congregation, the elders were, were very wise, very good shepherds, led the congregation through multiple processing opportunities, Q&A incremental information that we had a series of family gatherings on Sunday mornings. I, I, don't, I don't like the category congregational meeting. <laughs> that connotes things that are not positive. So we called them family <laughs> gatherings. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I gotcha. they, you know, we, they were never occasions of controversy. They were always occasions of Updates, solid information worth coming to listen to, openness, Q&A, total honesty. The elders were vulnerable. They were available. It was persuasive and satisfying to the people. Multiple opportunities along the way with several decisions that sort of ramped up to the final decision of identifying Pastor T.J. Timms as my successor. So I feel that I owe the elders of Emmanuel Church a great debt of gratitude, extraordinary wisdom. And then the congregation participated faithfully, prayerfully, diligently. We had some of our best times of prayer together during that time. And God answered those prayers. He, he put his hand on us. He said, I'm so going to bless you guys. Watch this. And it went well. I'm so thankful. Did, uh, just to be very transparent, so since stepping out of that role and no longer preaching to the same people every week, no longer preparing a series in the same way, no longer being that lead shepherd, has that been hard for you? Um, actually, it's, I'm surprised that it hasn't been harder. I am so satisfied that their pastor now, Pastor T.J. Timms, is God's man. Uh, I am so happy about his being there. Um, I, I, I find it easy to be wholeheartedly, cheerfully supportive. Um, I mean, T.J. and I are personal friends. We hunt deer together every fall. So, uh, I see the antlers up behind you there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, there they are, yeah. Uh, so um, we, we are so uh, closely aligned in convictions. The, and I think I would have to say in candor, Dr. York, that the church was in a healthy condition. It didn't need major surgery. Um, so it, 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 there was a lot going for both me and TJ. 
our personal friendship, the condition of the, of the church, the process that led to his uh, identification as the lead pastor. Again, just all covered in God's blessing. I'm so thankful. You have been uh, a wonderful guest. My only regret is that we just don't have about three or four hours because there's just so much I want to ask you. Uh, you're not that far away from, from me. One of these days, I'm going to call you and just say, can I drive down and have lunch with you? And, and I look forward to all this being over when that can happen. Wouldn't uh, that be a blast? Let me come up to Louisville. I'd love to do yeah. that. Hey, we'll get you up at Louisville. I, I actually live in Frankfurt. I'd love to show you Frankfurt. Uh, I've, from, from within my front porch, the site of my front porch, I see Daniel Boone's grave, the dome of the Kentucky Capitol, and the Kentucky River. It does not get more Kentucky than that. And, uh, you know, I would love to show you around. And uh, I, I want to have you come up sometime to Buck Run. Uh, I mean, if you're a deer hunter, you've got to preach at a church named Buck Run. Uh, <laughs> I'd so love we, that. We, we want to have you. And uh, now maybe that you, you don't have the weekly duties there, uh, that can be more possible. So I look forward to it. Thank you. I like to conclude each uh, Pastor Well podcast with a uh, what I call the twinkling of an eye round. Just some quick questions. Just you're, uh, you answer them as briefly, or if you want to go into detail, feel free, okay? Sure. Uh, what two to three preachers have influenced you the most in their style of preaching? Hmm. Well, of course, my dad, predictably. And Francis Schaeffer was a compelling preacher. Billy Graham is, or was, um, just definitional of great preaching. And then also Dr. Hudson Armerding, who was the president of Wheaton College during our years there, was a very yeah. articulate, careful, wise preacher. I, I heard him preach in chapel many times. He left a deep impression. I'm very thankful. I had his grandson in class at Southern. No way. Yeah, Cole. So um, delighted Cal to hear Cole. that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's a, a joy. Uh, our, do you have a dream car? If there was any car you could have, uh, historic, sporty, whatever, is there a dream car you'd like to have? Oh man. Well, I've got a, I've got a Chevy pickup that I really, really like, but I actually have had my dream car. Uh, really? I, in, uh, when I turned 50 and I, and I gave myself permission to have a midlife crisis, Jenny allowed me to go buy a Camaro Z28. Uh -huh. uh, Chevy Camaro. It was 305 horsepower, fire engine red. Man, every time I cranked that thing up, I had a blast driving that car. It was so fun. Well, that's that's great. Uh, okay, if you could go anywhere in the world when this uh, COVID-19 stuff is over, if it were safe to travel and you could go anywhere and take uh, Jenny with you, where would you go? I would go to Britain. I would go see my son and, and daughter-in-law and their precious children. And I'd, we'd, I'd take them all up to Scotland to go out to the Hebrides and just walk the hills for a week. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds really great. Uh, do you have a favorite secular author or secular book that uh, you really like? Well, um, maybe the line between sacred secular is a little blurry here, but... Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings mm -hmm. is um, an epic story that helped me understand both my life, this journey I'm in, and the Bible, and the epic that it is. When I read Tolkien, mm -hmm. 
with all the little subplots and sidebars and so forth, I realized, oh, that's what life is like. And that's what the Bible is. That's what the Bible's like, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the meta narrative. Uh, I remember uh, around the, not at my seminary, but around the time I was in seminary, there were a lot of preachers saying, you, you, you need to just focus on the gospels. People can't get the big story. They can't get the meta narrative. And boy, everything since then has proven that so wrong. I mean, yeah. people love totally the narrative. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, do you remember the first sermon you ever preached? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes, but I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. What, what was your text? I, I don't even remember. It was so not tied to the text. It was pathetic. Oh, please. In fact, <laughs> well, so you know, you... It's funny, a couple of years ago, I found a box with hard copy sermons from the 1980s and i made the mistake of looking at a few <laughs> yeah. it was painful brother it is painful man it's painful i remember mine and there's a tape of it somewhere that will never see the light of day uh, <laughs> you know, I, I get it well thank god for his grace and i thank uh, god for the grace of getting to talk to you today it has been just an absolute joy and delight uh, I had so many questions sent to me by folks on Twitter to ask you that we didn't even begin to cover them. So maybe we can have another conversation someday, but I'm so grateful for this one. Uh, so thank you, uh, Dr. Ray Orton, for being on Pastor Well today. And Dr. Urquhart, I thank you. It's such a privilege and a joy. I'm so glad to connect with you uh, in a deeper way. And um, I look forward to seeing you in person uh, as soon as that can happen. I, I pray that it's so. Uh, thank you very much. And thanks to all of you who watched or listened to Pastor Well today. If you haven't already subscribed, please do so on YouTube or on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next time on Pastor Well. <laughs>